Hello, this is Keith Dent from the Black Men Speak podcast. On our last episode, I interviewed Dr. Armin Perry around his book, Black Love Matters, Authentic Men's Voices on Love and Commitment. Well, in this segment today, the tables are turned. I, along with Coach Michael Taylor and Rod Joyner, participated in a town hall with Dr. Perry that was sponsored by Fathers Incorporated. It was so good, I figured I would share it with you. All right, welcome everyone. How are you all today? Fantastic. Doing great, thank you. Oh, I'm wonderful. Awesome, awesome. So we have the distinct pleasure of being joined by three men who have unique perspectives on these issues related to black love and relationships. Specifically, we're joined by Keith Dent, Coach Michael Taylor, as well as Rod Joyner. Keith Dent is an author. He's a podcast host. He's also a relationship coach. Coach Michael Taylor also is an author. He's a motivational speaker, as well as a podcast host. And then we have Rod Joyner, who also has his own podcast. And so we're going to get right into the topic for the day. But that before we leave, I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to plug all of the work that you all are doing and talk to folks about how it is they can get a hold of you. But while I have you, again, we want to jump right into this. Um, given you all's experience, talk to me about what you see as the biggest challenges facing black love and marriages. Well, I'll jump right in. Go for it. I think, I think the greatest challenge, especially from a black male perspective, is we have what I'll call an antiquated paradigm of masculinity. For men, we have been conditioned that as men, we aren't supposed to feel, we aren't supposed to be connected to our emotions, and if we aren't willing to be emotional, we can't be relational. And so I think the real challenge is, especially as black men, we have to be willing to challenge ourselves, challenge the perception that the media has put out about us, about us not being emotional, and just be willing to connect with our, with our authentic selves, who we really are inside. And so I think that's the challenge, challenging men to not be afraid to be emotional. Not be afraid to be emotional, okay. Yeah, you know, I'd like to kind of double down on that. I think with that, because we aren't attacking that paradigm, then we're not communicating uh, with our partners. Uh, I, I see a lot of times where, uh, especially when I'm working with couples, um, the, the, the wives or the ladies in the life will come and they'll be very adamant about what they feel the issues are. And it it takes a lot or it takes a while for the men to really talk about any of the issues that they're having. They'll, they'll easily be able to defend what they, uh, what uh, their partners will say. But when it comes to their issues that they're having, they're a little reluctant to share. And I think it just goes back to the fact that they're not comfortable being vulnerable and telling their partners what their issues are. That's being, I guess I'll have triple down on that because what both of those brothers just said is when society has treated us as well you can't be emotional and vulnerable because we tend upon looking on as weak especially as black men so i think when it comes through is that you know our counterparts you know they ask for it but when you do it it becomes another situation and i think as uh you know as the coach said first I think TV has translated this as well. You know, what you see on TV, 
I guess that becomes what they say relationship goals. And that is not all true. That's interesting. So, so if I can, just a quick follow-up. Um, so you talked about the idea of men doing a, a better job of being open and being vulnerable. But something that you talked about, Keith, was this idea that, in your experience, men are more willing to, to be defensive what, in the face of like an accusation, it sounds like you were saying, but, but not so much uh, willing and open to, 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 to sort of articulate their own issues. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, I think, you know, and in the basis of my book, um, and, and I'll talk about that later, but I use sports metaphors a lot uh, as a way to explain. And so I don't know if any, all of you played sports, but think about it when, let's say, a play breaks down or something happens and it, you, maybe it's your fault. <laughs> like, like the guy that got burned by the Green Bay Packers the other, the, a couple of weeks ago with uh, Tampa Bay. He'll have an explanation like, you know, look, I was, you know, someone else was supposed to be where they weren't supposed to be. You will always have an explanation on why uh, something is not working. And so that's what I kind of mean by defensive. We'll have an explanation of why maybe we're not as communicative or um, why this, why that. But we will have a hard time talking about our feelings and how we feel about um, how the relationship is going, or even if we have a problem with our partners. Because I think also on the flip side, they, we also know that our partners are very communicative and we'll have a response back. So we'd like, well, we'll just rather keep the peace and as opposed to challenging uh, our partners to try to get better. I see. For the good of the Yeah, I can certainly see that. Coach, where do you think that comes from? Well, so let's put it in context. You have to understand how the roles of manhood and masculinity are changing. And this isn't just for black men. This is just masculinity as a whole. In our society, in our culture, in, con in our country, for the first time, there are more women in the workforce than men. For the first time, there are more women graduating from college than men. So the roles of masculinity and manhood are changing rapidly. A lot of men aren't willing to change with those roles because, you know, we buy into the old idea that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. The truth is we don't have a choice. The roles have changed and men must be willing to change with those roles. The good news is men, I believe, are beginning to become more open. Why? Because once again, evolution, men are being challenged to see themselves differently and how we approach being men is changing. For example, it used to be that men thought that our three primary responsibilities were what I call the three P's, procreate, provide, and protect. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, society didn't teach us how to connect and what men are longing for is connection. But you can't connect without your emotions. And men must be willing to embrace the idea that being in touch with their emotions and connection is what they really long for. And that's really difficult to get men to grasp because of the paradigm that we're currently in. But these types of conversations, that's why they're so important because we have to expose men to some of these ideas. Now, obviously there are gonna be some men that reject it and have that, that tough, you know, I don't wanna be a wimp kind of attitude. Hmm. But I can assure you, every man that's listening to this right now, deep down, 
we long for connection because that's just a human need. Okay, so okay, this this so this is good, and this is good early, right? Because I, I had so many follow-ups. So this so this idea of, of connection is—is is it your sense that, or in your experience, and this is for everyone, is it—is it that men don't don't know that they want that or don't need it, or they don't have the tools and the ability to sort of manifest it, right? So so I'm thinking I'm thinking about what you're just saying, Coach, and I'm also thinking about what you were saying, Keith, and I can envision sort of the I mean not to get too far into the weeds on this, but I can envision the sort of the, the sort of cover two defense where the the corner is expecting the safety to help and you see the bomb going over his head and then before the ball hits the ground the guy's saying he's pointing to the safety like where were you? Like what's the deal? And so I can I can sort of, sort of see in my mind the 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 uh the the unique ability of men to be able to to point the finger and defend against sort of when something has gone wrong with being a, a little bit more challenged in terms of some of the other stuff. So that was a really, really good analogy. I want to come back to this piece around connection. Is it, is it you all sense that men don't know that they desire connection or they just don't have the tools and the ability to sort of articulate that? Or is it some combination of the two? I'll let the other men go first and I'll jump back in. Okay. Um, I think it's just like, like, like you said, we just weren't, taught how to you know it, it's kind of it's like if you grew up in your grandparents house and and as i did i watched my granddad go to work every day come home on friday and just hand my grandmother some money and walk in the room and leave back out and she would like she's a cashier would hand him something he would go do whatever he had to do with his friends so like he said you know with his three p's i think that part right there that we seen but the communication aspect I watched them talk, but their talking wasn't really like in depth of conversation. It's like you paid the bills, you did what you had to do, you put the food on the table, I'ma run the house, you leave back out. And as he said, the evolution of women now is not the women standing in the house having five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten kids and working on one income. Now women are having one child and they're going back to be what CEO, CFO, whatever type job they have. And the role that we used to, the gender role that we seen from our elders is like, okay, you're making whatever, she's making whatever. So now you got to find this other way to connect with her. But we weren't built to connect with her because we're used to saying like, okay, I'm going to go make this money. I'm going to, you know, do these things for the house and you just run the house. And now it's kind of totally different. Yeah. And so, Rod, so I, I want to stick with you for, for just a second because I think you're uniquely positioned, right? Because the audience that you engage on a day in day out basis, I mean, college students, right? So, oh, no, ahead. no, no, they, they're all graduates. They're all graduates. Uh, okay. My demographics range from the age 28 to 60. Okay. They're okay. all single. Okay. 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 So I'm, maybe I made some assumptions when I was hearing about singles, but, it, but it's all people who have either gone to college or are currently in college or have gone to college, it sounds like. Basically, all that went to HBCUs, correct? Gotcha. And so, and so you were talking about what, what, what sort of struck me as growing up being socialized by people who were, for lack of a better term, old school, right? And mm -hmm. I hear you sort of talking about your granddad, and I can almost see in his mind checking off the, the P for provider box, right? When he came home mm -hmm. and gave the grandmother the check. And so then she gave him his, she gave him his cut, his little allowance, and he went and did whatever his thing was, whatever case may yep. be. He made sure home was taken care of. But in his mind, home being taken care of meant that when I gave her that money, that was home being taken care of, right? Yes. So what I want to go to you on is, 
in in the people in the conversation that you're having with the people who engage you on the singles network are you seeing any sort of shift particularly with the younger crew is it that is it your sense that guys are any more open to some of this stuff around wanting a connection or articulating that they have a need for connection than in days gone by are you seeing a shift there or, or is it pretty much the same as it always has been in terms of the days gone by with your granddad and, and that generation it's it's equal because you see the shift it's basically you see the shift but when they 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 talk you want to hear old school because we just had a conversation about this probably two weeks ago that people believe you know down these day and age that there shouldn't be 50 50 in the household they still want that 100 percent where the man take his everything but you you do nothing i mean well not do anything but you don't bring anything else to the table you still want to run the household but on the side stack your money whereas though back in the day with um our grandparents and parents where we had these companies is like the plants, the docks and things like that, where you could actually send three or four children, you know, just working in a coal field or mining or working on a boat dock. My grandfather worked on um, a shipyard for 28 years. My grandmother retired at 24 hmm. and, you know, she hasn't worked or well, rest her soul. She hasn't worked in 50 years. So at the age of 24, he retired her. And I think the, the network I work for, they see that and they're like, well, why can't I have that? But as you know, as Coach said, and as, as Coach said, evolution happened. Everything evolves. You know, uh, mortgages have went up. Rents then went up. You know, everything then went up except for your pay. So now I need you to at least come in and say, okay, uh, Miss So-and-so, I'm going to knock out this mortgage. I'm going to knock out this rent. I need you to deal with our electrical bills. I need you to deal with our, you know, our little amenities, small amenities but they're not used to seeing that. So now it's like, I, I don't know how to adapt to this new role that I, that I'm in. Okay. I just, let me jump in there. That that's an interesting take. Cause I think cult, that's a culturally thing as all being maybe in most of the HBCUs are in the South, maybe a cultural thing. I mean, but I'm on the East coast and that's a completely, there's a completely different mindset when it comes to that, just based on income. And Keith, just for the record, you're in New Jersey, right? New Jersey, right. Okay, okay. So we have and, some, some regional sort of nuance here. So go right. ahead, I'm sorry. So, um, you know, in this region, you have you have, need both, uh, almost both parents to work if you want to, you know, afford some of the thing, you know, your kids to go to college, you know, have, you know, eat extracurricular activities um, and things like that. So... Um, partners are looking for equal footing in regards to um, in regards to the relationship and so things go awry when um, let's say there uh, one partner is making more especially the, the 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 wife now or the woman is making more than the husband uh, the husband are ha there there's some challenges around that and where do I fit you know where where am I gonna because it's you still have to do those things and still kind of be the man uh and there's a there's a weird dichotomy there because we are yes as we were saying for us being the man is being the provider so when we're not doing that there's a kind of a sense of maybe loss of self-esteem or just trying to figure out how to still maintain uh masculinity and not 
be the breadwinner. So those are, I think those were some of the differences, you know, that happen, you know, regionally. That's good. Well, I'm not too far from you neither, Keith. I'm in Baltimore. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So let me, and let me ask you this, uh, just to follow up on that real quick. What, what's your sense, Keith, about, and again, not, not only you, Keith, but for the, for the entire panel, what's your sense about whether or not men are open and receptive to the idea that even in a situation or circumstance where they may not be checking out that provider box the way that in their mind they would ideally like to, do you see it as viable for them to play the role of the man, whatever that means, by filling in with more of that connection? Or is it that they don't see that as being sort of viable enough uh, or, or warrants them um, sort of still being a man by supplementing whatever it is they aren't able to do from a financial standpoint with building a closer, tighter connection? Or is that sort of an apples and oranges conversation in the hearts and minds of men, at least in your experience? Well, I think it's, and, and when I, how do I approach couples? I think it as the team environment. Okay. Um, and so every, and in a team, everyone has a role to play. Not everybody can be LeBron, you know, right. you, you need, um, you need a Chris Bosch, uh, you know, when you're in your arsenal in order to make it work. And, and so I think when, and it's more about breaking down that mindset and as far as, you know, being comfortable that, okay, oh, you know, what is your role? You know, also based on your personality too. That's also a big thing that we hadn't touched upon. You may not be that, you may not be that guy that is, um, pounding the pavement, you know, all up in people's faces all the time. You may be a man that likes to, to talk and conversate. So use your strengths for the benefit of the family. If you try to be something that you're not, it's not necessarily going to work well, not just for your family, but also for you personally. So that's important. And to break down, you know, what kind of man are you? And, and it's okay to be, be different. So again, if we come back to the, the changing roles, as men, most of us, our identities are wrapped into being providers. And so for a lot of men, it's almost emasculated for to make more money than we do because we think that's our role. That's the way it's been since the beginning of time. But as you look at, once again, the evolution, more and more men are becoming stay-at-home dads. And they're actually very comfortable in those roles. But again, there's a lot of men that in no way would be willing to do that because they would feel emasculated, not knowing that men can actually be as nurturing as women. Mm -hmm. Our society has conditioned us to believe that women were always the nurturers. Men were the, the disciplinarians. But men have the capacity to be just as nurturing as women. Unfortunately, too many men struggle with their sense of identity because that's seen as being weak. So what we have to be, be willing to do as men is to share, to recognize it doesn't make us less of a man if we make less money than our women. But we also be, have to be willing to contribute and make up for where the woman was doing all the housework. Men should be able to be comfortable saying, hey, baby, we're a partner, we're a team. I don't mind washing dishes. I don't mind washing clothes. I fold clothes. I have no problem with that. I don't feel emasculated by that. My wife makes twice as much money as I do. Does it bother me? No, because we're a team. 
We work together. We have finances together. We work as a team. And so there's no ego driven in me that says as a man, I'm supposed to do certain things. And that's a, that's a big shift for a lot of men. It's a very big shift. And speaking of shift, let me shift gears and ask another question. What do you all see as the biggest strengths in the black marriage and romantic relationship that you all come into contact with, contact with in your various lines of work? Well, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in emotional connection. And what I, what, I, what I see occurring is more and more men are becoming open to the idea that the peace that has been missing for us is that emotional peace. Because I'll go back to my divorce. After my divorce, I really struggled with relationships. And there was this pattern that I saw after my divorce that my relationships relationship would last about two to three weeks and the women were all saying the same thing as they left. I care too much about you to stay in this relationship because you're emotionally unavailable. This is what they told oh, you. Oh, I see. This yeah. is what they told me. Okay. They told me, I care too much about you to stay in this relationship because you're emotionally unavailable and they would leave. Now, initially, I just got upset, said, hey, that's on you. I'm a good man. I can find another good woman. But I didn't really listen to what they were saying. But I had a friend, <laughs> bless her heart, who said something that shifted my entire perception. And this is what she said. She said, Michael, because I was having a pity party with her. I was telling her, you know, you women say you want a good man and yet you leave, you know, all women leave. And so I had this story going on in my head. But my friend looked at me and she said, Michael, if one person calls you a jackass, you probably shouldn't worry about it. But if two or more do, you might want to get a saddle. <laughs> she said, have you not noticed that you're the only common denominator in all of your relationships? So maybe it's not the women in your life. Maybe it's you. And when she said that, there was a part of me that really heard what she was saying. And in listening and allowing myself to receive that beautiful lesson, I realized that I was the problem. And I realized I needed to do some emotional work to move past that if I wanted to create a great relationship. And so I went on this amazing journey of tra uh, transformation where I started off with therapy, getting in touch with some childhood trauma stuff that I didn't know was affecting my relationships, healed a lot of childhood scars. And then I was able to heal and then create the relationship of my dreams. I've been blissfully married for the past 19 years. And so I think as men, we have to be willing to take that journey, which is to connect emotionally. And it sounds like you're saying from a strength perspective, it sounds like you're encouraged by the fact that it, it sounds like you're seeing more and more men being open and willing to do that. Did I hear you say that? Absolutely. And, that, and that's what my work is all about. Help, helping them do that, it sounds like. Yes. And I would you know, jump in on that. And I think it, well, it took some courage to do that. A lot of times our men will go the other direction. And so, if they, you know, if they get broken, they hear, two, you know, one, two or three women that are, you know, would have would leave them uh, and it would cause them just like, well, OK, I can't trust some women because one, I was vulnerable with them, but then they still left anyway. And so therefore, I'm not going to get hurt, get hurt. And so and we're doing we're doing not only women disservice but ourselves because like i said we we are 
as Michael had said, we are emotional creatures and social connection or relationship connection is the key to uh, our relationships lasting and being strong uh, in not only for you and your partner, but also the community as well. And I think like the biggest thing that you just said, Keith, was about, you know, someone getting hurt. I think we look at it as like, I'm going to hurt you before you hurt me to cover up any pain or whatever inside of us. And I think that's just how it goes sometimes. Yeah. Any other thoughts on the strengths that you all see in, in relationships that you all come into contact with or, or? Well, again, I, my, my work encourages me a lot because men are now becoming more and more open. When I started doing this back in 1995, mm -hmm. uh, I was attacked, criticized, vilified, I was accused of trying to be white because I was talking about emotions and healing and so forth. And, and now some 25 years later, I mean, brothers are really saying, man, you know, I want to learn more about this. I really want to learn how to connect. And so that part of me is so optimistic because I believe in human evolution. I believe human beings are still evolving. And I believe as men, we're evolving. I think the roles of masculinity are evolving. And it's just a matter of us being willing to keep up with those changing roles. Okay, so so this is good. I actually have a, a, another question that you just sort of made me think about that is, which has to do with the specific piece around race here. You talked about when when you were talking and working with people around emotions and relationships, you got accused of being white as if to suggest that working on yourself and working on your relationship, uh, working on your mental health or whatever the case may be, or some combination of those things, that that was specific and peculiar to white folk. What What is that about? And is that something that both you, Keith and Rod, that you all see and, and you all's work? What, what, is, what was it about people in their sort of version of being black would suggest to them that doing those types of things were the antithesis of being black? Um, the antithesis I used to see, you know, growing up is like, Oh, I need, you need therapy. Nah, man, that's for white folks. Like, we don't do things like that. You know, um, us as African-Americans, we normally just suppose, well, what it was said was we should just talk it out. But if me and you keep talking it and there's nothing changing, sometimes we need to arbitrate it and hit somewhere to tell me, I believe you're right. I mean, I believe you're wrong. You believe I'm wrong. Somebody got to step in and tell us, look, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're right, you're right. And how do we get this done? Um, I just think, how we always looked at it was like, you know, as African-American people, these are our problems. We're not putting it on nobody else. You know, we got to deal with this situation in ourselves, and how we fix it, we got to fix it through each other instead of going out and having a third party stepping in with us. Yeah, this, this whole idea that what goes on in this house stays in this house, right? But Yes, that idea. And, and we don't air our dirty laundry, but meanwhile, the laundry is still dirty though, right? Like the, the laundry never gets clean. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm. And I think couples and I, since I deal with couples a lot, they'll get to the point where they'd just rather go ahead and divorce. It's almost as if they don't think things will get better. And, and that mindset, or they've just dealt with it long enough where they kept asking, kept asking, and, and then things didn't change or it got to the point where it was too late. And uh, where someone said, "Okay, now we can now we can go for for therapy," um, and and it was this ship had sailed by then, and so we just have to listen more and listen more sooner 
And if we need to talk to someone, and, and I think one of the things which is different now is that with platforms that, you know, like social media, now they have more access to people that look like people that look like us that might be able to provide the support and, and also culturally know what the couples or even, you know, singles might be going through. And that, that does, that's a lot. It's really, it's a big thing. But, uh, um, let me ask you this though, Keith. Um, so when does it like, if you deal with couples and I deal with singles, but I know some of the singles I spoke to, they say, you know, I'm recollecting or this situation happened before and I'm not letting this go no further because the same situation that happened, I'd already seen this appearance basically saying I've seen this movie before. So have you ever dealt with like couples that say that same thing? Like I've been through this before and I'm not trying to go through this again. Well, yeah, I think, if, yeah, I think you, you do get that from time to time where they have dealt with it, but there's, there, you got to hear both sides. So it's either there's, let's just say they, it's been a constant thing. Uh, someone's got to really open up and figure out what the issues are. I mean, and as a coach, you know, one of the things which is kind of different from therapy is that we have no, put no real skin in the game. If you do end up not working out, then that's, you know, the ch that's the choice on you. I'm not trying to bridge you either way. And I think that's, you know, kind of the kind of talk, and I don't want to call it tough talk, but that talk is necessary for people to, hey, look, if you really want this, then you need to, you need to do the work in order to get it done. But, but let's look at it culturally, though. Collectively, as black folks, whenever we had issues, we generally, where do we go? We went to church. We were told to pray about it, right? So we weren't told or taught to actually deal with and address emotional issues. Now, I'm 60 years old, and I can't remember a single time in my household that any grown-up ever asked me how I was feeling or why I was feeling the way I was feeling. Mm. I never had any adult simply share with me the importance of being able to express how I felt. Now, from six to 13, I experienced every type of trauma a child could imagine, you could imagine with a child, from abandonment, sexual abuse, rape, you name it. I experienced it as a child. And yet, I never had anyone to talk to to deal with the trauma that occurred because of those things. So it wasn't until after my divorce and I go to therapy that I start learning about the impact of trauma. And as a group, collectively, we as black people, I believe, really need to have these conversations. We need to talk about the impact of trauma, the impact of abuse, because that's what's killing us. If we aren't willing to address the emotional aspects of who we are as human beings, we will never change. And all relationships, I believe, are based on those early childhood experiences that shape who we are. Yeah, I, I agree totally. And that's one of the beauties why we're doing this podcast or uh, right now, because yes, absolutely. this is a platform gives an opportunity for at least, you know, men or couples to be introspective. Like, wow, there's some people out there we could reach out to and share our trauma because we're saying that you're, it's okay to have, it's okay to talk about your trauma.
Yeah. And we just, they just, we just need more people to be out there out front to say that it is okay. And a lot of times though, see, we, we talk about racial trauma, racism and discrimination and all that, which is real. But at the same time, it is the emotional trauma within the context of our families that really shape who we are. And we gotta be willing to talk about that. Gotta be willing to talk about that. Gotta be willing to talk about that. And, and then and the other part of it is, with, not only because we be willing to talk about it, but when we engage people in discussion of conversation around these things, when, when people that we know, love, and trust, when they put us on notice about some of the things that they see in us, it's important for us to not be defensive, right? Be willing to listen. And, and, and I think, it, do I have this right? At the point in time when two or three people tell you you're a jackass? <laughs> Your next step is, you got to get the salad, right? And get a salad. Yeah. Yeah, got to go get it. the salad. Okay, yeah. So okay, I'm I'm on it. Uh, you 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 said a whole word there uh, with, with with the saddle analogy there. So we have about ten minutes left, and what I want you all to do now is leave our listeners with some practical tips and some strategies and some advice. Like, what is it that people who are out there listening? What are some tangible things that they can do? to put into their sort of relationship repertoires to improve their situations or at least become a little bit more introspective to begin that process that we've talked so much about? Well, one of my favorite sayings is, if you don't go within, you will always go without. Which means we have to be willing to become self-introspective. And self-introspection simply means we're willing to unpack some of the baggage that we're carrying around. We all have trauma, we all have stuff that we need to be willing to address. Now, from a male perspective, I believe the three most difficult words for any man to say is, I need help. Mm. So we must be willing to remove the stigma that it's okay to say, I need help. Because as soon as we surrender to that, and recognize that we can change, then our relationships change, our life will change. So the first thing I would recommend is if you're dealing with some stuff, and we all deal with stuff, don't be afraid to say, I need help, and reach out for support, because there are lots of support systems out there. That's what's up. What are you thinking, Rod? Oh, um, I think the better of uh, communicate and stop ignoring the red flags. When you see the first red flag, please approach it, speak on it, talk about it, because what normally happens in the line of work that I do dealing with um, my real actual real job is that I see these young mothers coming here and, you know, and they say, well, at one point in time I did, you know, love them. I'm like, well, you saw the red flags from the beginning. So you should address these red flags before it comes down to something that neither one of you want to come into whether i mean well i know childbirth is a beautiful thing in life whether it's childbirth abuse mental physically uh death jail you need to address the red flags from the beginning to let yourself know am i willing to deal with this is this person willing to change or do i need to just run just leave to figure it out um i think too many people see the glitz and glams of certain things um for prime example we talked about last week on amsterdam talk was that um, one of the ladies said, well, he had money. I said, well, if he had money, <laughs> that doesn't, you know, equal anything else. 
your happiness is more than any, you know, monetary figure that anybody can bring up. So, and that's why I was saying earlier, we relate to TV and they see these things on TV, like, oh, he can do this. He can cheat on me. He can disturb me mentally, but he has astronomical figures. Hmm. He can take me to this place. He can do this for me. He can buy me this car. He can do this. And I'm like, no, at the end of the day, once all that goes away, because money doesn't last forever. Once all of it goes away, now, as you said, Michael said, you are within yourself now. You're beat up inside because your cure was a couple dead presidents that mm. took every, took the pain away for that moment. And my grandmother used to always say, you could drink all you want to. You're going to be fine for that situation. But when you wake up and you're sober the next day, some problems still going to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's real. That's real. Keith, what's on your mind? Well, I think, you know, as couples you have to kind of address your needs what your need and first individually um and and i i try to have kipples keep it to three to five um and and where couples will talk per one person talks the other listens they have to prioritize prioritize what the needs are that they're going to work on whether it be uh communication or openness or trust and and then uh, work work towards improving it, um, and then also having a and I like to call it a family mission statement, um, and that's kind of a I want to say a compass or things that values that you're going to have that you're going to live by as um, a couple and as, as a family, and then it helps you. So if someone gets off course or goes awry, they have the opportunity to say, oh, you know, address it, as opposed to uh, just letting it linger. And, you know, and then I think daily, daily communication, you know, with your partner, and it could be uh, simple as just, you know, talking about either, you know, something that's happening in the news or just like, oh, how are you feeling? You know, and it just gives an opportunity. And that's where it's the ongoing connection, the emotional connection that's, as Michael said, is just necessary for our relationships to get stronger. And because I think in all in all, we, we want to do it and we have, we love our communities. We love our black women. Um, but we also want to be emotionally present uh, as well. And, and so our relationships can grow. Yeah. But, but, but Oman, if I just say this, sure. um, especially from a black male perspective, I believe it's important that we make relationships top priority in our lives. Because, you know, the first time I was married, I was on that societal roller coaster. I got married for all the wrong reasons, you know, like climbing the corporate ladder, being responsible. But I didn't really understand the, the importance of intimacy and connection mm. and all of those things. I didn't understand any of those things. I was 21 years old. So as men, I think we miss out on a, the most important part of life by not making our relationship top priority because we're so focused externally. We're so focused on the mortgage, the cars, the house, the, all the stuff, but what's really important and what really will sustain us is connection. I really believe that. And again, as a result of 20 years of blissful marriage, uh, it's the first priority in my life. I appreciate this. We, listen, this, we could do this all day. Um, but unfortunately, we only have uh, 45 minutes and we've used 43 of them. So 
Um, I, I appreciate you all taking the time to, to sit down with me to share. This has been uh, an, an education. As an educator, this has been a full semester's worth of work, right? Uh, and so this is, I think, exactly what what this time needed. I think this is exactly what the community needs. I think this is exactly what the culture needs. And so just a couple of quick things um, that really sort of jumped out at me, just this idea of being uh, emotionally available, right? That's work that we have to do. Um, and as a part of that, right, we have to become as adept at being emotionally available and vulnerable as we are at being defensive, right? Uh, we have to uh, learn to understand and appreciate that we have a desire for connection. We have to put the tools in place in order to make those things work. Some of that is about just day in, day out conversation, uh, giving the people in our circles permission to be whole human beings and talk about their feelings. Because for many of us, we've never been given that opportunity. And so we may have been socialized to believe that there is no place or no role for that, particularly when it comes to us being men, particularly when it comes to us being black men. Um, I heard some work about the importance of identity right, and recognizing who it is we are and what it is that sort of connects us or binds us to other people, because uh, that's not something that we always do. So there are a number of nuggets here that you all dropped across the entire panel that I think people can sort of walk away with and put into their relationship repertoires to help them improve and enhance their situation. Before we go, again, I want to appreciate you all and tell you all thank you again for taking the time. Um, let folks know where they can get some more of these jewels from. How can folks reach out to you or connect with you on your various platforms? Go for it, Keith. Um, well, great. Uh, thank you. Uh, this you know, was a fantastic panel. But you can find me. I do a, I have a Black Men Speak podcast. It's on, you can find it on any of the major uh, platforms. Or you can follow uh, my Facebook group, Facebook page, uh, Black Men Speak. And uh, you can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore Dent and um, my book. You could, if you are interested, you could just email me at info at KeithDent.com. The book's called uh, In the Paint, uh, how, to win, how to Win the Game of Love. Awesome. Coach, you're up next. Well, first of all, let me acknowledge you for having this conversation. Um, this is so, so very important in our community. So I want to acknowledge you and Rod and Keith for, for joining in because this is the true work I think that we have to do as a people. Uh, I don't think there's anything more important. Uh, with that being said, you can find most of my work at shatteringblackmalestereotypes.com. And from there, you can find my podcast. I've uh, got several books, coaching programs, online courses, a wide variety of personal development programs designed specifically for black men. Uh, so if you've been con considering getting a coach or, or doing some personal development work, it's a great resource for any black man that's really ready to step up and to be to become who they were born to be. So on the social media channels, you can find me at Coach Michael Taylor on most platforms. Awesome. Rod, you get the last word for the day. All right. You can find us at uh, HBCU Singles on YouTube. So you can check any of the content out, same as on the podcast uh, or any on any uh, genre you can also come to the facebook group hbcu singles um singles lounge also we just started the hbcu's couples lounge to spin off we found out some people were getting in relationships so we put them into it to basically break them up um and also you can email us at 
info at HBCU Singles Lounge. Awesome. Appreciate you. So again, I thank you all for, for taking the time to, to sit down with me. I appreciate you all dropping this knowledge on me and all of the listeners. I appreciate you all sharing your platforms with me. Um, I saw it only right to, to do the same. Um, this has been worth its weight in gold, and I think that all the people out there listening are going to gain a lot from it. So again, my sincerest appreciation and thanks. Hope you all have a good rest of the day, and we'll catch up to you all soon, okay? See, I told you it was really good. We will be back this Sunday with a regularly scheduled episode. Have a great week.